This is Listen Again with the Bridge, your opportunity to hear Sunday's message. We hope you enjoy listening, and it all starts right now. Yeah, we're concluding a series entitled Pretty Little Lies, Things You've Heard. Things you've read that sound really good and they might even make you feel good on the inside. But matter of fact, they're not even correct. They're not even biblical. And we've been covering these for the last four weeks. So let's just recap. I'm going to kind of take you back through each week. I like doing that because once you've heard it and then you hear it again and you hear it again, it begins to try to sink in a little bit. So hopefully over these last four weeks, as we've said some of the same things over and over and over, that's beginning to settle into your heart. But uh, Jesus dealt with this in his day. He many times, that's why we concluded that with, you've heard it said. He would, he would say that, and then he would say, but I tell you, because he was correcting their understanding of Scripture. Far too many Christians claim to have a biblical faith. Too often, their interpretation of Scripture comes from something, again, that they read on social media, something their mama told them. So we started with the idea that there's more than one way to heaven. That if you're sincere, all roads lead to God. But we truly know that's not true. If you know the Bible at all, you know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We sang the song, what can wash away our sins? Not how good we are. Not how long we've been a Christian. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we understand that. Now, the second one we went to is that God wants me to be happy. Man, that sounds great. And you hear it, you can read books on it, you hear a lot of people say, God wants me to be happy. But it's dangerous to think that way because then you begin to believe that God exists for you. That he is there only to serve you and that whatever you're asking for, as long as you get that, you're going to be happy. And so that week we talked about how God doesn't want you happy if it's going to cause you to sin. If you've got to step outside of God's standards in order to be happy, then there's a problem there and God has a problem with that. God doesn't want you happy if it's only based on what's happening. If my life is going well, then I'm happy. And if it's not, then I'm not. That's not good. That's not healthy. We actually talked about how God doesn't want you happy as much as he wants you blessed. Everybody say blessed. He wants you blessed because blessed, if you look at the meaning, actually means more than happy. That's where God wants us. So that no matter what's happening in our life, the circumstances do not matter. We can still know that we are blessed. Can you say amen to that? So that was week two. Last week, we got to the idea that God will never give you more than you can handle. Man, that sounds really good. It sounds like something that could be true. A lot of times when people say that, they're misquoting a scripture. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where where Paul is talking, and he says that God will never allow you to be more tempted beyond what you can bear. And it also says that he will always give you a way out. And so people think that means God will never give me more than I can handle. And we're okay saying that, but the truth is we found two stories in the Bible, one in the Old Testament, Moses, one in the New Testament, Paul, Two people who truly experienced more than they could bear. They went to God and said, God, I I can't do it anymore. I need help. And so what did we learn from that? We learned that when we have too much, we have to sometimes put something down. When we have too much, we might have to lower our pride and actually ask for help. 
and say, I need some help, I need some advice. Be willing to get that. And finally, the fun part is we might even get to throw something at God. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Did you just say throw something at God? Yes, I did. Because Psalm 55, 22, we read it last week, said, cast our cares on the Lord and he will sustain us. And that word cast in the Hebrew literally means to hurl or to throw. If you will cast something onto God, he will sustain you. He will take care of you. He'll get you through it. And we concluded, yes, last week with this scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 as Paul was dealing with what was called a thorn in his side, and he told God three times, please take this from me. I can't take it. And God's answer, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. We don't have to be as strong as we think we do. It's good to be strong, but too many times we're trying to act like we're strong or look strong, that whole swan effect, you remember? How you look like you're just cruising through life on the outside, but underneath, man, you're just barely staying afloat. You're just kicking and paddling, doing everything you can. God's strength is made perfect when we go to him and say, I'm weak, I need your help. And that leads us to today. Week number four of Pretty Little Lies. I want you to do me a favor as we start today. I want you to look at the person in front of you. Yeah, yeah. You're like, well, that's kind of weird. That I'm just seeing the back of their head. Maybe they wear a toupee. I don't know. Maybe you're just judging them on what they're wearing or how they fix their hair. Look at the person in front of you. Get a good look. Now I want you to look at the person on your right. Look at them. Look them up and down. Get a good look. All right, you got it? Look on the left. Look on the left. Everybody look at them. Look them up and down. You got a pretty good idea? All right, one more step. Look behind you. Turn around. Everybody look behind you. Now I'm going to tell you to do something. Your mom had probably told you not to point, but I'm going to tell you. Right now I want you to point at the one you think is the biggest sinner. Go ahead. Point them out. Go ahead. Oh, some of you guys... Throwing your spouse under the bus. That's awful. Come on now. The biggest sinner in the room. You know what? We're a church. We shouldn't be pointing out sinners, right? We're a church. We don't want to pay, make people feel bad about who they are. We don't want to talk about sin or sinners. We just want to encourage people. We want to uplift people. We want to make people feel better about themselves. And in all respects, that's probably true. It is a good idea to come in for those who are discouraged to, to hear an encouraging message and to walk away uplifted and ready to go throughout your day. But if we don't talk about sin, if we don't talk about the reality of our sin nature, think about this, if we don't talk about the destructive power and its eternal consequences, then we're doing you a disservice. We're not doing our job if we don't talk about sin today. If you look at the world that we live in, it is very, it's becoming increasingly harder and harder to distinguish a believer from a non-believer. Think about it. Based on actions and lifestyle, it's getting harder and harder to distinguish between the two and to figure out, because you know what statistics tell us is that Christians, just as much, if not more, find themselves in divorce 
compared to non-Christians. If you look at it, actually statistics show us that unbelievers or non-believers give just as much, if not more, than Christians. It's true. You can look it up for yourself. And it got real quiet after we got to have a little fun thinking, I'm going to point out the sinner in the room. Here's the thing. We're understanding that if you look from the outside, there may be little or no difference in the way you live life compared to someone who doesn't know Christ. And if that's the case, after seeing that for so long, at some point you have to go, is there any real difference on the inside? Did it make a difference when I prayed that prayer and accepted Jesus into my heart? Was there any real difference if, there, if there's no difference on the outside compared to those who've never heard the name of Jesus or those who've never accepted that name? So I think part of the problem is that so many people today, they want Christ in their lives as a, just kind of an add-on, like something else they're just bringing into their life. I can still do the things I want to do. I can remain hip and cool and Jesus is my homeboy and all of that kind of like the idea that God wants me to be happy. I can still be happy, but I can serve God. And we want Christ without subtracting sin. We want all the benefits of calling ourselves a believer, but we don't want to add anything that Jesus teaches that's going to really affect the way we live our everyday life. We want a revival in our hearts without repentance in our lives. We want to add Christ without subtracting sin. Here's the thing, spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is not just what you know. It's not how much you know, it's how much you obey. Spiritual maturity is not just, hey, I go to this small group and I know these scriptures and I can quote this and I know that. It's I know Jesus and I serve him. But if we don't obey the things his, his word says, if we're not applying that to our lives, then there is no difference. So today, I want to talk about three pretty little lies about sin. Three pretty little lies about sin. Let's begin with number one. You have them on the back of your bulletin. Let's cover this together. The first one is this. We love the idea that, hey, I'm not a bad person. If I'm a good person, I can make it to heaven. I'm not a bad person. If you look around the world, there's a lot of bad people out there. I mean, I help old ladies across the street. You know, I, uh, I mow my neighbor's lawn for them, and they don't even ask. You know, I helped the, the, the dorky kid at school. I made him a little more popular because I hung out with him, right? You know, the, the dumb guy, I let him cheat off me so that he could be smarter. Whatever you might be justifying your idea of a good person with, I like that person's social media post that nobody else liked just to make them feel better. You know what I'm talking about. And we focus on morality, performance, and character. We focus on those things because we believe those things give us control. As if our behavior is how we earn our salvation. We hear this all the time at church. This is not a new message for you today. But when we focus on morality, and behavior, and character, and thinking that that's going to control or make us, it's going to make us a better person, yes, but it's going to make us more of a Christian, or we're going to be able to go to heaven because we're a good person. 
Can I tell you something that we all need to understand this morning that sometimes we forget? You and I are a product of grace. It has nothing to do with what we've earned. You are a product of grace. Your life begins and ends with grace. And if you don't have grace, you aren't going to make it. That sounds horrible. People don't like to hear that. That's just what Jesus told us. He said, I am the way. Got news for you this morning. Not only are you a bad person, you're a sinner. Hey, welcome to the bridge where we want to make you feel encouraged. We love you. It's hype. Let's join a small group. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We all are sinners. We are born with a sin nature, separated and bent towards sinfulness, and we are by nature sinful people. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to it. It says, if we claim to be without sin, not only are we deceiving ourselves, but there's no truth in us. Not an ounce of truth. If we believe that we are without sin, Sin. The Bible says that no one is good, that we are sinful human beings, and we have to recognize that. Now, why do I come in today and spend all the beginning of my sermon just tearing you down and saying, you're a sinner? Why do we need to recognize this? Well, I want to tell you a story, and hopefully this will help you understand why you need to know. I'm going to be honest with you. This is not a real story. This is one of those preacher stories that just makes the message work. Are you with me? So bear with me as I talk about this guy who was walking through the desert. Okay? He's been in the desert for hours. A desert is hot and it's dry. He has no water, so he's thirsty. So he's walking, trying to find water. He's going over sand hill after sand hill, trying to get to some water. And off in the distance, he finally sees one man. He's like, He's, he's waving and just got his hand in the air waving. He's like, what is he doing? I don't care what he's doing. I got to get some water. Maybe he's got some. He starts walking to the man. The closer he gets, he sees him waving. He's like, what is that? So he gets closer, gets closer. Sure enough, he sees the guy's waving neckties. He's got a necktie, free necktie. And he's like, we're out here in the desert. Why in the world would I want a necktie? So he just walks right by that guy and keeps on going. Sure enough, sand hill after sand hill. I mean, he's dying of thirst. Finally, he comes up on a building. He sees it off in the distance. He's like, I hope that's real. Whatever I'm seeing, I'm going to see if I can get there and get some water. He gets a little closer, a little closer. Finally, he sees it's a restaurant. The closer he gets, it's a really nice, extravagant restaurant. To when he, he gets there and there's this guy standing in a tuxedo. He's welcoming. Hello, sir. How may I help you? And he's like, man, I've just been out in the desert. I just need some water. I don't care about anything else. If I could just get a glass of water. He said, I'm sorry, you can't come in unless you have a necktie. <laughs> yeah, it's a poor joke. I know. But it'll get my point across. If you don't need a necktie, then you're not going to want a necktie, right? I mean, think about it. If you're in the desert, you don't need a necktie. You're not going to want a necktie. Unless we see ourselves as sinners, then we don't see a need for the Savior. You understand what I'm saying? Unless we see ourselves as sinners, then we have no need for the Savior this morning. It's only when we recognize that we are separated from God by our sinfulness. We will not see our need for the relationship with the Son of God, 
Jesus Christ, our Savior. It feels good to say, I'm not a bad person. I mean, compared to other people, and we start comparing, and when we compare, it's easy to find somebody else, right, that's much worse off, that's made poorer decisions than we have. Can you believe what she said? And we start comparing, and we don't feel too bad, but when we compare ourselves to a holy God, the God of this universe who cannot even look upon sin, all of a sudden we realize this about ourselves. Look at Isaiah 46. Excuse me, I got it backwards. Isaiah 64, 6. Isaiah 64, 6. Here's what it says. All our righteous acts. I want you to see that middle line. All our righteous acts. If you take everything good, everything holy, everything pure that you've ever done and you brought it all together and put it in one place, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Well, Chad, I mean, are you saying everything I've done good was for nothing? All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. If you actually went to the Hebrew, I did this, and I looked up the meaning for filthy rags, and I was telling this to Courtney, and I was prepared to tell you today what filthy rags means, and she said, you can't tell them. That's too gross. (laughs) So I'm going to let you go look it up, and you just find out what filthy rags means in the Hebrew. And understand that all of our righteous acts, when we add them up, again, we're comparing ourselves to a holy God. Are like filthy rags. It's a very polite way of saying we're pretty nasty. We're sinners. It doesn't mean that God will reject us when we come to him in faith. It doesn't mean that he despises our efforts to please him. No, we should want to please him. It means that if we live life believing our acceptance is based on good conduct, God will point out that our righteousness is nothing compared to his infinite righteousness. They're like filthy rags. So the first pretty little lie that we understand today is that I'm not a bad person. It's actually a wrong thought. We're all sinners. We all fall short, which helps us understand When we do recognize that we're sinners, that we have a need for the Savior. Second, pretty little lie this morning. All sin is the same. A sin is a sin, right? I mean, you hear it all the time. All sin is the same. It's common because because people use this to justify their sinfulness. They will say, who are you to judge me, Christian person? You're a sinner too. And my sin is no worse than your sin. Right? You hear this all the time. All sin is the same. People will say, well, didn't God say all sin is the same? God never said that. Actually, God never once said that all sin is the same. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because I want to be very clear what I'm saying when I say that not all sin is the same. You can write this down. All unforgiven sin is the same. All unforgiven sin is the same in that it separates us from a holy God. Again, we're recognizing that we're sinful people. The punishment for our unforgiven sin is the same, in that it leads to hell. That's what Scripture tells us. The punishment for our unforgiven sin is the same, in that it leads to hell. All sin does separate us from God, all unforgiven sin. Here's where sin is not the same. 
its consequences of our sin, both earthly and eternal. The consequences of our sin is different. Now, I already have this on the back of the bulletin for you. You you can write it down or you can check it out right there. Our obedience or disobedience influences three things. Our obedience or uh, disobedience influences three things. First thing, it influences our rewards in heaven. You can look it up for yourself and you can find that our obedience and doing good things, Scripture says you will be rewarded in heaven for those things. So there is a a difference, right, in how we act. It does matter. We do want to understand that today. Number two, it influences our punishment in hell. I don't have time to go into all of this. Hell is a very real place that you don't want to go and you don't want other people to go there. It's more horrible than you could ever imagine, but Scripture is clear And I can help you later if you really want to know. Scripture is clear that there are some actions that will lead to more severe punishment in a place called hell. Look it up or I can help you find it. Finally, the third thing. Our obedience or disobedience influences both earthly and eternal consequences. There are some sins that you commit that aren't going to wreck your life. I mean, you can still commit a sin and again... You're separating yourself from God, right? Until you're forgiven from that, you are separating yourself from God. But there are other sins that you commit on earth that are not only going to hurt you, they're going to hurt other people. There are greater consequences, not only on this earth, but eternally, and we will cover both. Let me just give you a simple example, and I'll start with this. Let's say that uh, I'm going to find somebody that I can pick on, Steve. Steve's right here on the front row. Thank you for being a front row person, Steve. Let's say Steve came in wearing a new pair of shoes today. And as Steve walked in, I see these shoes and I'm like, those are the ugliest shoes I've ever seen. What are these clown shoes that he has chosen to wear? But Steve walks over and he's all excited. And he's like, Chad, check out these shoes I got. Man, I got them on sale because everything's better on sale, right? So I got them on sale and man, they are so comfortable. You wouldn't believe I love these new shoes. And I would look and I'd go, man, those are awesome. Congrats. Love your shoes. Now, I just lied, did I not? I lied. Okay, I lied. I sinned. Chances are pretty good, though. If you know why I did it, you're like, well, he was just trying to make Steve feel better. He didn't want Steve to feel bad about his clown shoes, so he told him he liked his shoes. (laughs) Not too many consequences of that, right? I might even still get to be your pastor, even though I told Steve I liked his clown shoes. On the other hand, if I got a wild hair and I took all the money that the church has and I spent it and I traveled overseas and I married three ladies and got addicted to cocaine, how many of you know I'm no longer going to be your pastor? I'm no longer going to have a wife or a family. I've just ruined everything about my life. There are consequences to our decisions. And not only would that affect me, it's going to affect you and it's going to affect my family. It's going to affect a lot of people who place trust in who I am. There are consequences to our decisions, both earthly and eternal. So let me show you the eternal side of this. Let's look at Luke chapter 12. Everybody turn there with me, Luke chapter 12, and i got to be really fast. So we got small groups to deal with. I'm excited about that. Luke chapter 12, I want you to look at verses 47 and 48. I'm going to start with verse 1. 
The reason I'm starting in verse 1, I'm just going to give you a little context as we get to verses 47 and 48. These are Jesus' words. Not yet, but we'll get to his in just a minute. It's just telling what happened here. Some context for you. Verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. It's interesting to me. I don't understand how Jesus worked, but you've got thousands of people there to hear him. And he takes these 12 and he calls them over and he's like, Hey guys, let me talk to you. And they huddle up and he starts talking to them. And he begins to tell them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And we're going to find this hypocrisy in verses 47 and 48 in just a moment. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Church, listen to this, what it says. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. This is Jesus talking. Look at what he says here. I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has the authority to throw you in hell. Woo! Man, I grew up with some of those preachings like from my dad and people who tried to scare hell out of you. Well, that's a pretty good one right there. Just, just hearing that verse alone is a little scary, isn't it? But after this, Jesus begins, he's, he's talking to his disciples. At some point, he's going to begin talking to the crowd, but he begins talking in parable form. He's telling them parables, and he's talking about getting ready for the return of Christ. He's preparing them. So look at verse 40. Let me show you this real quick before we get to 47 and 48. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Again, he's talking in parable form, but, but he's preparing them for what's going to happen. Look at Peter. I love this. Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Like, who are you talking to? Do we need to be ready? Do they need to be ready? Who needs to be ready? Peter's wanting to be sure. Who are we talking to here? Remember, what we're really talking about is there are consequences, both earthly and eternal, to our sins, right? Here it comes. Look at verse 47. Jesus, again, Talking in a parable here, he says, the servant, who would be the servant in this uh, story? Come on, you don't even know the story. You can read it later, but who's the servant in the story? We are. And then who's the master? He is. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with, everybody say, many blows. Many blows. That's interesting. Now look at verse 48. The one who does not know, whom, they're just ignorant. They don't know any different and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with what? Few blows. Hmm. So you're telling me there's a different level of punishment based on what someone knows. It's based on what we know, all based on if you know to do good or not. Now let me take you one more place, and this is where we're going to see the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Look at Luke chapter 20, verse 46 and 47. This is in the New Living Translation. I want you to hear this. Jesus said, be aware of the teacher, teachers, excuse me, of the religious law. That's the Pharisees, right? For they love to parade around in flowing robes, saying, look how holy I am. Even their robes meant something. Have everyone bow down to them as they walk into the marketplaces. 
The religious righteous have just arrived. Look at us. We, we are holy and you need to bow down to us. That's kind of how they walk in a room. And then Jesus says, but they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property. That's the hypocrisy. You see, they have the outward view of being religious, but inwardly they're hypocrites. And what does Jesus say? Because of this, Jesus said their punishment will be what? Their punishment will be greater. So we have this idea that I'm not a bad person. Surely I can make it to heaven if I just help people and do good things. No, we're all sinners in need of grace. All sin is the same. It doesn't matter. No, there's consequences. Not only to you, not only to those around you, there's consequences eternally to the decisions that you make and the sin that you have. Finally, the third one. Here's where people just kind of give up. The third pretty little lie that we begin to believe is, I've already sinned, so I might as well just continue. What's it matter at this point? I've already gone too far. I might as well just keep going. Maybe it's a young couple, teenagers who sat down and said, hey, I like you, I want to date you, but I want to remain pure. I don't want to do things married people do until we're married. And it's a great thought, it's a good idea, and they begin that. But the longer they date, the more attracted they are, the further they go. And they take it a little further every time, and before long they've gone too far, and they look at it and go, oh, We messed up. We blew it. We've gone too far. We might as well just keep doing it. Unfortunately, the relationship didn't last. And so they go into other relationships. And before long, they've already done it. So why not just keep doing it? And before they ever get to marriage, they found themselves with eight or nine different people doing the very thing that they committed not to do. Right? Because I sinned. I might as well just keep going. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, it says, If you've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That means if you have truly experienced the freedom of having your sins forgiven and being redeemed and having Christ in your life. Listen to what it says. But then are again entangled in it and are overcome. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. You knew the life and power and forgiveness of Jesus, but you step back into the destructive power of sin. You're worse off than you were at the beginning. You know what this tells me? It's a principle that I believe rings true. The most miserable people in the world are not non-believers who do not know Christ. The most miserable people in the world are Christians who live in sin. They're Christians who know to do right, but they're choosing not to do it. Therefore, they're living out the very thing they don't want to be doing. So they find themselves miserable. Why is sin so destructive? Why is sin so destructive? It's because it is incredibly progressive in nature. Sin is progressive in nature. It continues to just grow. It starts out small. It's inconsequential one moment, but then it grows and it grows and it grows and it begins to kill. And it's just as the enemy says, it begins to kill, steal, and destroy everything that was important to the heart of God. Sin is progressive. Let me give you one example. And you've, some of you in the room have heard this before. My wife shared this in a message once before. 
My son, who's 16 today, was three at the time. And even at two years old, like any young toddler, he loved to climb. At some point, uh, around two years old, Courtney was in the other room. She heard him in the kitchen laughing. She walked in the kitchen and found he had climbed on the cabinet up on top of the fridge and was like just having a blast laughing up on top of the fridge. She's like, how in the world did he get up there? She didn't even know. But he loved to climb just like any one of us would as a toddler. For some reason, at three, he got real intrigued by the garage door. He loved to push the button. If we were carrying him, when we were walking out the door, he'd want to push the button and watch it go up. If he were ever standing by the door when it started going up, he just wanted to walk over and touch it. And we'd be like, Connor, don't touch it. Leave it alone. But he was totally enamored by the garage door. He loved to just see it go up and down. He, he, just, he was always fascinated by it. And one day, Courtney was at her parents' house with Connor, three years old. She hears the garage door go up and a blood-curdling scream. What in the world? Did he put the garage door down on himself? What did he do? She goes running to the garage. She whips the door open and he's hanging by the garage door. It got the best of him. He couldn't help it. He could reach the button. So he was able to push the button and run over and he was able to, there was a lip on the bottom of that door and he grabbed hold of it. And as it began to take him where he didn't want to go before long, he was so afraid he couldn't let go. And all of a sudden he's at the top, just hanging, kicking and screaming for his life. It got the best of it. It progressed from just wanting to push the button to just wanting to touch it to finding himself somewhere he never wanted to be. Sin is progressive. That's why it's so destructive. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Let's, let's look at the progressive nature of sin. Look at this. It says, each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Now stop there. It doesn't stop there, but I want you to make sure you picture this starts out with just a temptation. And by that, we're dragged away by our own evil desire, right? But it doesn't stop. Then what happens next? Then verse 15, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. What was a temptation has now given birth to sin, but it doesn't stop there. It then says sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. So what started as a temptation led all the way to death. So what's the problem here? What, Chad, what are you trying to say with all these pretty little lies? Where are you going with this? People want to add Christ without subtracting sin. They want God in their lives, but they don't want to change everything about their life, just the things that they're comfortable changing. But don't take this from me because I'm really connected to this and this is giving me security. They want revival without repentance. Spiritual maturity is not just about what you know, it's how much you obey. The problem is many of us, we've been educated beyond our level of obedience. We know the right way. Unfortunately, we have not been able to do. And that's why God's word says be doers of the word and not just hearers only. So can we bow our heads 
in the room for just a moment. What do we do with this problem? What do we do if we're recognizing today, man, I've been believing the lie that if I'm a good person, that I'll be fine, I'll make it to heaven. I've, I've been believing the idea that all sin is the same and it doesn't matter. I've been believing that, you know, all sin, well, I'm a sin as a sin. It doesn't matter. I, I can get away with anything. It's as if I told a lie. Or we're believing maybe, man, I messed up a long time ago. And at that point it was like, oh, well, I might as well just keep going. There's no fixing it now. What do we do with that problem? Well, the Bible tells us that we are to repent. And repent does not just mean pray a prayer in your heart. Repent means you're going to turn away from the sin. You're literally going to remove yourself from that and go the other direction. You're not just asking God to forgive you. You're saying, God, I don't ever want to do this again. I need to be away from this sin. I want to turn from it and I want to turn to you. And maybe you're here today and that's what needs to happen in your life. It's time to repent. It's time to recognize that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Remember last week applies to this week. In our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. That strength is what we need in these moments. That grace that only Christ gives. Remember, our life begins and ends with grace. We are all a product of grace. So if that's you today, that you're sitting there saying, Chad, I, I just need to repent. I need to pray, ask Jesus into my heart. But more importantly, not just ask him into my heart, but say, God, I want to remove this from my life. I want to turn away from this sin and never go there again. I want to repent today. If that's you, will you lift your hand and let's just... I want to pray for you in this moment. Yeah. Anybody else? Heavenly Father, whether I see every hand or not, you see it. More importantly, you see their hearts. Lord, I pray that you would be with each person, God, that raised their hand in this moment. They would accept and acknowledge their need for Jesus Christ in their life. That no matter how many good acts we do, it makes us a better person. We look better on the outside, but it doesn't change the fact that we need you on the inside. Father, I pray that your grace that is all-sufficient that never runs out would be enough for them to walk out of this place today feeling free, redeemed, made new, made whole. And God, that every one of us would walk in the truth that your word brings. God, that we won't get caught up in the pretty little lies that we've talked about over the last four weeks. Lord, that we won't let those things sink in and begin to, begin to believe those because that will affect how we think or how we act or what we do because we begin to justify what we do based on those pretty little lies.
They sound good. They feel good. But Lord, I pray that we would be basing our life on truth. That truth comes from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.